last month we started the Gospel of John when I was up. And so we'll continue with the Gospel of John. Uh, part two today, can I get a witness? This is a, uh, this is a, <clears throat> that was going to be the title, and then I put, switched the title, put a character survey of John the Baptist. So we're going to be talking all about John the Baptist and learning from him. So this will be part, partially, it'll seem somewhat lecture, but then I believe the Holy Spirit is going to use that information, and you're going to see where your life um, is similar, the ways that you are similar to John the Baptist or ways that God might want to use you. And uh, so I trust that the Holy Spirit's going to get a message to you that you need to hear um, today. Here's a review of last time we were in John, John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, the Word already existed. So the Word of God, the Word of God existed before time. It's not confined by time. It's outside of time. Time is confined by the Word of God. God's Word invented time for us. We're creatures of time, and we see the sun, and we have days and we age and so forth. But time is an invention of God, uh, this earth, this universe. In the beginning, the word already existed, and after this world is gone, his word will endure forever. The word was with God, the word was God. Um, One way that 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 is true is that God cannot be separated from his word. If he says it'll happen, it's going to happen. If he has an intent, then an action will follow. And there's no difference. There's not, oh, I had a good motive or a good intention and it didn't work out. Um, God's word is golden. And so the word was with God. The word was God. He, personification, he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. John is saying that Jesus is the word of God. Jesus himself is the word of God. He existed with God in the beginning And God created everything through him. So the word existed before this world. After this world's created, we have some written word, God's written word, the Old Testament. And then we have the living word, Jesus Christ, the word of God taking on flesh and dwelling among us on earth. And so Jesus existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life, Jesus brought light to everyone. So spiritual sight, heart recognition, the holiness of God, uh, mercy, grace, Jesus brought light to the world, whereby we can understand God, we can understand ourselves. Jesus brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. There was a lot more to that, but that's, um, there's a summary. John, it's the Apostle John that's writing the book of John. And so he's giving witness of his time with with Jesus and conveying to people um, what the Spirit is impressing upon him that people need to hear and know. And so he's giving an account, and um, he says, if all the things that Jesus did and said were written, the volumes could not contain, all the volumes in the world, books, could not contain the wonders and the signs and the miracles and the words uh, and the impact that Jesus had, but this is written, I've written what I've written so that you might know and that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. So now we jump uh, to the next verses, and the Apostle John introduces us to another John, John the Baptist. John 1, verse 6 through 8 says, God sent a man 
John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. God sent a man. That, that reminded me, um, just that word sent. God sent a man. God had a purpose for John. God sent a man, John, for a specific reason to tell about the light so that everyone could believe. And he wasn't the light, but he came as a witness. It just took me back last fall. We were walking through the book of Ezra, and we were thinking about all the ways that God would stir a person's heart. He stirred so many people's hearts for specific reasons. And just uh, an idea of that, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied of Judah going into exile and of them returning back to their homeland after some time. Jeremiah was very specific, said 70 years they'd be in exile, they'll come back. Isaiah was very specific, said they'll come back because a man by the name of Cyrus will give them permission to go back. 70 years, well, and Isaiah prophesied a long time before this, uh, four, three, four hundred years. But when um, the Jews were in exile in Babylon and in Persia, and then God stirred King Cyrus's heart to write an edict so they could go back. And then God stirred the heart of uh, Sham, Shamzar. Am I going to get his right name right? There's a name there. It's hard. I can't remember it. I have to look it up. Sheshbazar. Sheshbazar. Stirred his heart to lead back the people. And he stirred the hearts of the families to follow him. 50,000 people followed uh, him back to Judah. And God stirred uh, Zerubbabel's heart to build the temple. And then when the people got discouraged, he stirred Haggai's heart and Zechariah's heart to encourage the people. And then he stirred Ezra's heart to come, also, from, um, also to come to Jerusalem to teach the people God's ways and his word and the law. And then he stirred Nehemiah's heart to go back and build the walls around Jerusalem. The point being is that you and I, God has us here for a reason, and he will stir your heart for a purpose that he created you for to accomplish and to get done. So you are not a free-floating, purposeless being walking randomly around in life coincidentally. You are here in 2023 because God planned for you to be here. He planned for you to be here. You're here for a reason, probably many reasons. We all have a role. God has sent you. He sent John the Baptist. God has sent you. You are sent. I'm on mission for God. I've been sent by God. I'm here because he sent me here. He sent me here. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Before the creation of the world, he already had you in mind and a plan and purpose for your life. So then he thought, okay, I better create a world for this person that I already have a plan and purpose to be able to fulfill what I have for them because it's nobility and it's, there's reward in it and there's a relationship in it. So um, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, when he's young and at the beginning of his ministry, he saw a vision of God and he responded, Oh, it's over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Woe is me. I'm not worthy or skilled to represent the God of eternity. I'm not worthy to stand. I'm not worthy to live in the presence of God. And God responded in, in Isaiah 6, 7. He says, your guilt is removed. Your sins are forgiven. And then verse 8. 
Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah said, hi, I mean, I guess if you're going to forgive me of all my sins and all my filth, and you're just going to give me grace and mercy, and you're going to give me salvation and eternity and eternal life, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go. That sounds good. I'd love to do that. And God said, good, I had, I had a mission for you. That's why I'm talking to you right now. That's why I asked the question. God has sent you. God has sent me. We don't feel like that during the days. We're trying to get through, get done our responsibilities, make it through, see another day. No, God sent you. God sent me. It's important for us to grab a hold of that. Um, Okay, number one today, Scripture fulfilled. We're going to talk about John the Baptist. There's over, there's 300, 400 prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Redeemer, who would save the world from their sins. Throughout the Old Testament, prophecies and foreshadows specific, many of them very, very specific. But there's also several prophecies concerning John the Baptist. Did you know that? Some of you do, some of you don't. There was a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament that said that John the Baptist was going to come. And, um, and, and quite a few, actually, and some foreshadowings as well, some in Numbers, some in Psalms. We're going to look at three specific ones uh, for this point. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. Listen, is the voice, Isaiah is, is about 890 B.C., Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys, level the mountains and the hills, straighten the curves, smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. So in the day, and and actually it's the same thing's true today. If a king were to go visit a part of his empire, a distant part of his empire, or go to another nation, that town or those villages or that other country would spruce things up. And they would make sure that the travel from there to here is good and that our roads are in good shape and they were safe and there were um, hors d'oeuvres ready. And uh, so if the president of the United States goes somewhere, they roll out the red carpet in many places, and they want to make sure that things look right, and they hide the human trafficking, and they hide, you know. But they make things look, I think about the Olympics, $15 billion that a place will pay to spruce things up and get things ready and paint over all the graffiti before everybody gets there, fix the potholes, Because there is political and economic incentive to look good, to be good, to offer amazing services. Um, John the Baptist, this prophesies that John the Baptist, that someone is coming to prepare the way to prep Judea for the coming, not of the Olympics, but for the arrival of Jesus Christ. Here's another uh, Old Testament prophecy regarding him. Malachi 3.1. This is 450 years before Jesus or John the Baptist is born. Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. 
The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So saying, uh, I'm going to send a messenger. He's going to prepare the way. And then the Savior that you're all waiting for, and you've been waiting for for a long time, you're still going to wait another 450 years. They don't know that. This, the, the God that you're waiting for, the Savior, he's going to come after the way has been prepared by this messenger. And this God of the universe who's coming in human flesh, he's going to walk in literally to the temple that you guys have put up to worship him. He's going to walk in to his temple. The Lord of heaven's armies. Uh, The Jewish people, the religious leaders, they're amped for the coming of Messiah. They're excited for that. They all knew, everybody knew that someone was going to come and prepare a way. And then the Savior would come. Malachi 4, 5, this is the very last verse of the Old Testament. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah. What? If you guys know about Elijah, he was in the, um, he was around 890 BC. And, uh, and he, he was quite a prophet. Um, He's one of two people in the Old Testament that never died. Never died. It says that God took him up in a chariot of fire. Took him up to heaven. So he never died on earth. And and this last verse of Malachi says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah. He never died yet. He's going to come back down. He's still got some more. uh, His mission's not done on earth yet. Sending him back. I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. That means the day of judgment. The day of judgment. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. It's a really interesting passage. That he will do this. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So he's coming with a message. And he's coming... Not to do a physical preparation of of cutting down trees and removing stones and and leveling a path, but preparing hearts, a spiritual preparation focused on the hearts of the people so that they can receive, they'll be ready to receive their king when he comes. I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children of the fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Really interesting. It seems like it could go one of two ways, doesn't it? And that's purposeful. There's that hardened heart right there. It'll keep you from perceiving spiritual truth. A hardened heart will keep you from perceiving spiritual truth. If Jesus himself is standing here, but you have a hard heart, you will not perceive spiritual truth. We move to the New Testament. So that was the last verse of the Old Testament. And then there's 450 years, 400 years of silence. Not silence, there's tons of stuff going on. We call it silence because we don't have another book of the Bible right there. We're just waiting. God had said all he needed to say, and now we're waiting for the time, the right time. Luke 1, 15 through 17. So there's a, there's a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And they're in Jerusalem, and Zechariah is serving as priest, and he's the one that's 
uh, getting to um, offer sacrifices uh, in the sanctuary at this time. And when he goes into the sanctuary, an angel appears to him, speaks to him. And he says that you and your wife, who's been barren and you're both very old now, you're going to have a son. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. That's really interesting. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah can't believe it. And he actually says that. He says, we're old. I don't think that can happen. Um, God's merciful to him. It does happen. Uh, Long story short, Elizabeth is pregnant. Um, The the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, says, you will be with child. The Holy uh, Spirit, you'll be conceived of the Holy Spirit. God himself will put his seed in your womb. You'll be pregnant without ever being with a man. And she believes. She says, okay, let it be as you say. And then she goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth. Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived, and she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, my baby in my womb jumped for joy. So all of a sudden, there is a recognition of John the Baptist, of Jesus' presence, the presence of God. And Elizabeth felt that, prophesied. Later in Luke 1, Luke 1 is a long chapter, 80 verses. Um, Zechariah, he's speaking. He's speaking. He says, um, you know, this isn't on the screen. It's verse 76. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. Number two, simple man, straightforward message. Matthew 3. 1 through 14, in those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is the voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. It's John's fashion statement. 
Do you think he had pretty bad B.O.? <laughs> That's what I think. I look at that picture, like, he's right, man. <laughs> God does not reserve ministry for the polished, the formally schooled, the elitist. Certainly, he desires for us to be diligent and to be faithful and to learn and, and not just live by our emotions, but he's not impressed by human accolades or human achievements or professional resumes. He often prefers to use those who the world would consider foolish. He'll use the foolish to confound the wise. The Lord searches the whole world to show himself powerful on behalf of those whose hearts are committed to him. God's spirit in you can accomplish anything that he desires to accomplish, and nothing can foil his plan. Um, Obviously, God sent John. God had a specific purpose for John. And... He didn't wear fine clothes, and he didn't hang out in the prestigious places and areas of influence. And in Jerusalem, he's out in the wilderness. And people are flocking to him more on that. But his message is this. He was a simple man. He didn't cling to materialism, material things. He didn't cling to popularity. You'll see this. He was free of those things. He wasn't mastered by things and stuff and and, um, social status. Those things didn't have a grip on him. They didn't have claws into him. About his fashion statement, look at 2 Kings 1. So this is, I was saying, 880 BC, speaking of Elijah. This was Elijah a long time prior. King Ahab was notified about a prophet, um, and he said, there's some big events going on, summarize. He says, what sort of man was he, the king demanded. What did he look like? And they replied, he was a hairy man. He wore a leather belt around his waist. And he goes, Elijah, Elijah from Tishba, the king exclaimed. He knew exactly who that was. Very peculiar that John looks just like him. Has the same personality, same style. His message was repent. Repent. John said, so John comes like he's supposed to, and he's preparing the way, and he says, no more playing games. No more playing games. No hypocrisy. No playing church. No uh, being a good person. God sees through all that, and the time is now. Prepare the way of the Lord, because it's here. It's here. We're not waiting anymore The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some Pharisees or religious leaders would come there, uh, and he would point at them, he would say, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath of God. He saw right through their pretension and their fakery and and their um, rubbing elbows with people. And Prepare your hearts to receive him. We can't play games anymore because God sees the heart. And people were responding. Choose between judgment or mercy now. Now's the time to choose, because you can't choose later. He said, choose right now. You need to prepare your heart now. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. I'm that guy. I'm the voice. The voice that Isaiah talked about, I'm the voice. Here I am. Prepare yourself right now. What if Jesus was going to come back tomorrow? 
And all of a sudden, we thought of this as get real with God right now. He's coming. Like, I need to just be completely honest and completely vulnerable to God right now. And all my defenses and all my reasons and all of my excuses, they need to fall flat right now because tomorrow the king's here. I'm looking the king in the eyes. I need to be pure before him. I need to be ready to receive his mercy and grace. I need to be upfront. I need to be contrite. I need to be honest. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John 1.15, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. John was born first on earth. Jesus existed forever. Because the one who's coming after me is greater than I am. He existed long before me. And the people are like, I don't see anybody greater right now. I mean, you have the biggest multitudes of people coming out to see you. You're saying someone is greater than you? Yeah, someone way greater. He existed long before me. He's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. Like, you can't compare him to anybody else because he sets the bar. He is the greatest of all time. Mark 1, 7, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I can't get down. I'm not worthy to get down and help him take off his shoes. His sandals that are full of poop from walking on the road, I'm not worthy to take those things off of his feet. That's how much greater he is than me. Do you understand, people? Your hearts have to be right before God. Do you understand it? The purity, the holiness of God. Oh, man. Here's the Jordan River. Right there, so Mediterranean Sea, Sea of Galilee, and then the Jordan River flowing all the way down to the Dead Sea in Israel. Must be, must be winter time there. Is that the snow? Okay, next picture. There's an up-close picture of the Jordan River. Not in winter. He says, repent, and people are flocking, and people are responding And then Jesus comes on the scene. One day Jesus shows up there. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And throughout the Old Testament, there was prophecy after prophecy, foreshadowing after foreshadowing of a lamb, a pure lamb, a spotless lamb, symbolically taking the place of, taking the sin dying in place of sacrifices, the sacrificial system, the Passover. That's what the Passover holiday in the Jewish community is all about. Uh, Abraham with Isaac up on Mount Moriah, and God says, don't kill your son. God will provide the lamb. Isaiah talks about uh, as, a, as a lamb led to the slaughter and without resisting. And now John points at Jesus Christ and says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John's message is a simple message. It's repent, 
And there's Jesus. Here. Repent, everybody. Oh, and here he is. Here he is. There he is. John was saying, this is the Jesus that's going to die for the sins of the world, the one who's never sinned. Here's your salvation. He's here. So he's serving in a deflecting role. He's a witness. He's given testimony to the light. John is not the light, but he's pointing to the light. He's pointing to the superstar. And it should be, that should be our role as well. We're not making a name for ourselves on planet Earth. We're not trying to leave our legacy. So this is a reoccurring. So John is the guy that does this. This is what John does. John does this. Ladies and gentlemen, it's good to see you here. So glad. Everybody come in. If you're out there, come on in. Yep, come on in. Everybody sit down. Turn off your cell phones. Turn off your cell phones. Hey, look up here. Look up. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest speaker. And then he goes back down. That was his job. And he did it. By the power of the Holy Spirit in him, he did his job, what he was supposed to do. Each of us have a job to do. God has something for us. We have a circle of influence. What is it that God has for us to do? May we use our skill sets and opportunities and stages to point people to their maker. Let nothing be done that would distract people from the presence and the worship of God. All right, John 3, verse 26 through 30. John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man that you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, you yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He must increase. I must decrease. This is exactly how it's supposed to go. This is right on. This is perfect. I remember, um, man, you guys can relate to me. I am sure. Middle school, high school, and then in the college, you, you know, you're, you're looking at the as a, as a guy. I'm looking at the other guys. Am I as strong as? Am I stronger than? Am I as smart as? Am I as funny as them? Am I as popular as them? Am I as rich as them? Am I, and you're just, you're, you're evaluating, where, where am I on this scale? Am I the leader? Am I the top? Is there someone stronger than me or faster than me? And, and, um, and there's that going on, and there's this competing or this competition, and you're kind of, and I know that happens with the girls too. And I got to college, and... Um, and I'm on a floor with guys, four west, and and I'm just already feeling that you know I'm coming to a college. I'm like, oh man, I'm like, where am I going to fit here? And where am I? Where's my place? And and um, and there's a guy named Peter Hansen who was on our floor, and he did not need to be the center of attention. He did not need to be the biggest, fastest, smartest, wittiest. 
He wasn't measuring himself to the rest of the guys around him. He was just happy and content in his own skin, and he was enjoying his role. He wasn't comparing or striving to be a leader, although he eventually became one of the residential advisors there on that floor. But I just, for me, it just took me off guard. It's like, how is he that content not being, a lot of people have to be in the spotlight. If they're not in the spotlight, then they don't know how to be. They don't know what to do or how to act. And he was fine not being in the spotlight. Absolutely fine. Just enjoying it. He was, he was rallying support for other people and other things and, and, um, and just having a great time. That made a big impact on me. Takes a lot of the pressure off when we allow Jesus to be the leader and we defer to him and we point to him. John the Baptist and Lecrae were friends. I don't know if you know who Lecrae is. Wrote a song, says, I could play the background. Um, it's a rap song, so there's about this many words in .6 font. I just grabbed a couple of them out of there. It's evident to you, what, why am I, should I even read this? It's evident you run the show, so let me back down. You take the leading role, I'll play the background later in the song. So let me fall back, stop giving my suggestions. Because when I follow my obsessions, I end up confessing that I'm not that impressive. Matter of fact, I, I'm who I are. A trail of stardust leading to the superstar. Not grammatically correct, but sounds pretty cool in the song. <laughs> I'm who I are. Say, I'm who I are. Say, I'm who, I'm who I are. It's really hard to say that. A trail of stardust leading to the superstar. That's right. Let's look at John's successes and his sufferings, number three. John's success and suffering. Matthew 3, 5 through 6, people from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. That must have been very gratifying to John. He knew that he was to do a mission for God, that he was supposed to speak a message and do something. And now here are multitudes coming from all over, and he must have been like, oh, this is, this is awesome. This is awesome. It's happening. A sense of significance. Sense of significance. Crowds coming. People responding to the message. For John to see this had to be incredibly valuable. And then seeing Jesus come, and when Jesus came, Jesus says, baptize me, John. And John says, what? I you don't have anything to be baptized for. You're perfect. You don't have sins. You don't have... And Jesus said, baptize me. He baptizes him. The heavens open. The Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. There's a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, meaning he has no sin, whom I'm well pleased. So that had to be... That, that didn't just meet John's expectations... I was like, whoa, this is way awesome. This is incredible. He's on the mountaintop, John, right now. I, I proclaim the message. All the people are here. I point out Jesus. God confirms that he's the Christ, the Savior, in front of everybody. This is awesome. That was a good day. But then he went to prison. He eventually died from being beheaded. 
Herod Antipas, find him in the historical records. He's the one that took the head of John the Baptist. And while he was in prison, he reveals that he becomes, he's become very discouraged and, very, and even confused. Matthew 11, 2 through 3. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard, all, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? What? That's not John. What? What do you mean he said that? I'm glad that's recorded in Scripture. John had so much faith in Jesus. I, I, so it could be a couple different ways, but because he has so much faith in Jesus, he's sitting in prison, and the weeks or months or years, I don't know, are going by, and he's like, Jesus has all the power in the world. Why wouldn't he get me out of here? Why am I still in here? Jesus is God. He can do anything, and he hasn't even come and visit me. He didn't even visit me here. There's confusion and discouragement. Or I thought, I mean, I know I was proclaiming the coming of the Savior. The Savior, he's the guy that's supposed to redeem everything, right? He's the one that's supposed to, maybe he even thought, like the rest of the Jews, that, that Jesus right then was going to set up his kingdom and everything, there's going to be peace everywhere and all the rights are going to be corrected and all the wrongs and all the poor are going to be helped. And, and he's like, it's not happening. I'm sitting in jail, it's not happening. And he sends his disciples to, Messiah, to the Messiah, to Jesus. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? You wonder if in that question, he's conveying a lot to Jesus. Like, I don't see any change right now. I'm still in jail. What's, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? I'm wasting away in prison. This doesn't seem like part of God's plan. Why would God allow this? You and I have permission to doubt, and we can, be, we can express honest questions and honest feelings to God. And he's big enough to handle it. It doesn't disappoint God that we express tension that we feel. He'd rather us go to him with that tension, with those questions and with those doubts, than to turn away in resentment or harden our hearts or write God off. Faith is not the absence of doubt, and doubt is not the absence of faith. The two can coexist. One guy said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief to Jesus. John knows he's the Christ, but he's, he can't figure it out. And he's confused and he's discouraged. Jesus responds to him. Let's look at the four, salvation and satisfaction. John had extreme highs and John had extreme lows. You and I in this life are going to have success and suffering. We're going to have success and suffering also. And we don't pretend otherwise. And we don't put all of our expectations, we don't have too high of expectations in this life. We have very high expectations of the next life. Very high expectations of eternity and heaven and that. Salvation and satisfaction... Matthew eleven four through 6, Jesus told them, so he responds to the disciples that John had sent. Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, 
the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away on behalf of me. So he's saying, keep the faith, John. Keep the faith, bro. The dead are raised to life, John. He confirms John's question and gives him hope and, and um, perspective. I believe that helped John. That's probably what he needed to hear. Gave him the, what he needed to finish strong. God's saying the same thing to you and I, and in hard times or discouraging times or when things don't make sense at all, trust God. Trust his character. Trust him. Trust him. Keep a soft heart before God. Trust the Lord, oh my soul. Trust the Lord. Trust him. His timing, his ways, they're far beyond us. We can't even start to understand it. And if we do, we'll get, we won't make it very far. Most of my kids play basketball. Saturdays, you know what we do on Saturdays? Just basketball. And so we're at one game and then another game and then another game and then another game and then another game. There's usually five games. Now basketball's done as of yesterday, last two games yesterday. But my daughter, Sayla, was playing at a game in Madison, and, um, and her team was playing, and I'm looking, we're watching, Sayla's dribbling the ball down court, I see the, it's almost halftime, it's five, four, three, I'm like, shoot, Sayla, shoot, 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 and she shoots, one, zero, and then the other team gets the ball and they start coming down, I'm like... And the guy next to me said, yeah, that scoreboard's broken. You got to look at that one. <laughs> I look up. It's like, oh, there's still, there's, so the, 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 the 10th or the second hand, it was, it was actually, instead of 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, it was 15, 14. <laughs> so I'm like, ah. Oh. So they come down. Don't look at the wrong scoreboard. Don't measure things in this world by this life and your success in this life. And don't judge God by the wrong scoreboard on what's happening in this life or not happening in this life. This is a big world. It's a big time. God is bigger than that. Expectations not met versus expectations exceeded. Matthew 19, 28 through 29, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 29, And everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. That's for you and for me right there. You are sent by God. You are unique. God has unique purposes for you. Keep it simple. Be faithful. You will experience success and sufferings, and it is worth it. 
John 1, 6 through 8, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light, but he's simply a witness to tell about the light. What's the Spirit of God saying to you today? What we've heard. Give God permission. Receive that word of God that he's planting in your heart right now. The things that were impressed on your mind before they fall out the back of your head or before you get to the parking lot and all of a sudden there's something else on your mind. Maybe if he's communicated something specific to you, write it down. Write it down. Take five minutes. Right now as the worship team is playing, just take five minutes. Write down some things. Put it in your phone if you need to to lock in some things to respond to the Lord and to go forward in his power. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for sending John the Baptist, just like you said you would. Lord, we know again, Lord, at your second coming, the time when you're truly judging the world, that there will be something similar to this going on. Lord, you are true. All your words are true. They never fail. Lord, everything you said was going to happen, happened. Everything you've mentioned since then, promised would come, would happen, is going to happen. Lord, I pray for our church body, Lord, that we could be strong together, Lord, strong uh, as part of your family. Um, touch us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We need you. Lord, in our own strength, boy, we just sure can't do it. We just can't. We can't do what you want us to do. We can't have the relationships that you want us to have. We can't respond in the right ways. Um, We need your Holy Spirit, the power of your Spirit to flood us. We humble ourselves before you. guys um, from now on in this room when the service ends the gathering ends let it remain very quiet in this room so we go into the cafe if you want to go you go into the foyer if you need to go talk all you want talk all you want parking lot talk all you want let's let this room stay quiet so that people can respond and hear God and they're not interrupted or distracted from what God is looking to impress upon them, from people being intimate with God, having a time of closeness with Him. So Lord, we give you this time now. And we ask for more and more of your presence in our life and in our church and in our community, Lord. We know there's big things 
ahead in the days that come and, and we're here for such a time as this. But Lord, we want to linger with you in Jesus' name. Amen.